Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hey everybody, welcome to this week's Roundup. I had to record these a bit early again this week, so if you're afraid that you missed anything, just go to the website, look for this post, then look for the DC Digital V2 post and see if there's anything in between. If not, I didn't miss anything. Uh, and if so, then maybe check it out because it's time sensitive. I always try to post things on social media that are time sensitive, like pre-order openings and all that stuff. But I know many of us just don't like to deal with social media, so I, I don't blame you at all. Just also a reminder, you could connect this website as an RSS feed on any RSS readers. I use Feedly at the moment, but there's a whole bunch of others out there. So if you do want to stay up to date on all the stuff that we talk about without having to wait for the end of the week, maybe just check and add it to your RSS app or something like that. But enough rambling, let's jump in. First up, Blue Shell 3D is now selling a P-Wing grip for the analog pocket, which is basically a grip that just makes it uh, so that your hands are spaced out a bit more when holding on to the thing. And it's $35 plus shipping, and they should be in stock or about to be restocked by the time you hear this. And while this is a pretty basic thing to talk about, I did want to share my personal thoughts quickly. No rambling, I promise. But for years, I never really used one of these things. When I was a kid, I spent all of my money on games. And the only accessory like this I would buy are a carrying case or that newbie light for the original Game Boy because couldn't really see it without something like that. And then a couple of years after, or maybe right after I started the website, I was at... I think Digital Press Video Games in New Jersey, and there was a big dollar bin filled with stuff, and I grabbed a couple of these grips for handheld consoles, kind of as a goof, like, oh, let's see how they work. And some were okay, some weren't, but the one that I used with my Game Boy Advance SP, the clamshell design, which actually is very reminiscent of the one Blue Shell 3D is selling, completely changed the game for me, and I never used my SP again without that up until the day that I sold it. So I wanted to tell that quick story just so I could reminisce to the early retro RGB days, but also just to kind of politely remind everybody, if you've never used a grip or if you've never liked one, take a look at the website, take a look at the pictures, kind of see if you got big fat hands like me or not, and decide, that, uh, decide for you if you think it's worth it. But luckily, 35 bucks is enough of a, you know, as low of a price as you could get where you could probably still take a chance on this if you're not sure if you like it. And then if it's not for you, you could probably give it to a friend or something like that and not hate the fact that you lost the money. It's not like it would be a super expensive accessory or anything. So just wanted to share my thoughts. 
A couple of weeks ago, Tito from Macho Nacho Productions posted an awesome video about how to directly connect a Raspberry Pi to the network input of a PlayStation 2 in order to load ROMs, uh, ISOs, ROMs, whatever. And I really wanted to talk about it here for a couple of reasons. First, as always, it's a great video. If you enjoy Tito's stuff, it's a must watch. But this is one of two methods that I think is good for whatever situation you might have. And while I love the video and while I really appreciate the work that went into all of the software behind this, if you have multiple things to connect and if you have a house with some network cable or even a room with some network cable, getting a retro NAS and using its built-in PS2 functionality might be an infinitely better solution for you because it could do a lot of things. But I still really wanted to talk about this one because what if you don't need a retro NAS? What if, you know, you have a mister, but you have one and all your ROMs are already on the micro SD? What if you don't really have any other older devices that could benefit from something like this? Then why would you set up an entire networking setup in your house just for one feature? So as much as I love retro NAS, I think this is the perfect alternative for people that are just like, eh, I got a PS2 Slim without a hard drive port. I want to load some ROMs. What's an easy way to do it? I think this is really cool. So uh, as much as I love retro NAS, I love options even more. So I wanted to share this with everybody just to remind people that there are other methods and you don't just need a retro NAS. That said, there's been some updates recently that kind of blow my mind that the team was able to add those in. So hopefully we'll be talking about that next week when a post pops up. But anyway, as usual, subscribe to Tito. His videos are awesome. And I would watch this if you stream ROMs to a PS2, even if you even if you've already decided on a solution, just because more perspective on a nerd thing that you're tackling is always good. Because even it might solidify that your current solution is better for you or you might like this one better. This week's podcast is once again sponsored by JLCPCB, and this week, this is it. Today is the final result of all of that 3D printing stuff. So a couple of weeks ago, I just kind of walked through step-by-step step how to place these orders, and then last week I showed some of the mistakes that I made, as well as some of the warnings that they had sent, and now I want to walk through what I received. All right, so I'm just gonna go through this bag and show them all one by one in real time. If you don't really care about 3D printing, you could skip to the next section, but I thought this was awesome and I think this might really interest other people. So this is ABS plastic, which came out okay. Um, the one from The Real Phoenix looks good. Uh, this one um, from Mid Geek Crisis looks better, but this is what I would really say has the most 3D printed look to it. So by no means am I saying anything bad about this one, but um, this might not have the exact finish most people would be looking for, especially if you're gonna see it up close. And while using a camera here to show it, it's probably gonna be fine, but if I were to take white box shots, for example, and take close-ups, they would look terrible. Whereas in real, uh, in real life right here, it looks completely and totally fine. So ABS feels great, um, it's nice and sturdy, uh, but I think this is my least favorite so far, but let's keep going because there's a bunch of them. Uh, here next is SLA plastic, uh, and this specifically is the 9000R. So this is resin, and this one is just the ones from the Real Phoenix, and this was another one where I got the warning that it might be too thin and brittle, but it seems absolutely perfect. Uh, the quality is excellent. Even as I'm looking at this up close, I mean, this is just really cool. Uh, so if you wanted that design and you wanted it uh, via something small, durable, and white in color, 
This one's definitely good. SLA Resin 9000. Now this one is the uh, nylon for the black ones. And this is also great. Excellent quality, um, much more flexible. So if that's something that would affect your design, then uh, you keep that into account, definitely. So this one is PA12. This is another nylon, but it's MJF instead of SLS. Another good look, another flexible, a little bit flexible. I'm not sure if I would prefer one of the nylons over the other, um, but this worked for both. And for the one that actually looks like a coin slot, this is very smooth. Like I think even if I did a close-up on a white box, this would still look totally great. So uh, very, very high quality for this one. Um, I'm not sure. Maybe the other nylon one, the uh, SLS, might have been better for the flat one. But the PA12, that really came out great for the, uh, for the one that looks like a coin slot. This is the one that's LEDO 6060. So it's another uh, SLA resin print. And this one, this one's another one that I think close up. Uh, I think you could do close-up shots of this, and I think it would just look great. Uh, the white color doesn't quite match the white of the candy cabs, but, I mean, you could always paint these. And, in fact, a lot of these cabs are painted, so that's another great choice. Very solid, solid material as well. Um, you know, I think, really, it's going to be hard to decide if there was one that I would recommend to everybody, because other than ABS, which was still good, just maybe not for this maybe for, not for this exact use case. Um, but let's check out the last one. And these were super expensive, and this is not what I would expect everybody to want, but I had to see what metal prints were like. And they're really cool. So the flat one with a tapered edge looks nice. I, I like that a lot. You, get, you could very clearly see the writing on it. It's very strong. Um, and it's got kind of like a, a, a speckled, non-smooth edge to it, which I like. I think that's pretty cool. And the one that looks like a coin slot, oh, also pretty awesome. I gotta say, I think I might keep the metal ones for me, just because I spent a ton of money on them. <laughs> but overall, I mean, they all looked really great. I, I do think that the nylon ones could have passed for like a factory injection molded design. I think those are really good. Um, so I also made the buttons individually and I'm gonna have to really put it all together to see which one I think looks better there if it fits on this install. So I wasn't able to install the metal ones because I don't have the correct inserts to go in. However, I was able to use those inserts on the PLA 12 nylon one and I think it looks absolutely awesome on my Sammy cab, especially because it's already darker colored over here next to the control panel anyway. And I also just used the same exact buttons that I had specced in the build. I didn't actually go back and add any of the 3D printed ones, and I think it looks amazing as is. So obviously no disrespect to the mid-geek crisis and um, those extra buttons. I think this one's awesome, and I'm super happy with how it came out. So thanks so much to everybody who participated in this project, and uh, let's keep them going and see what other cool stuff we could make. I now have a new tie for my favorite SCART switch that's available. I just reviewed Retro Gaming Cable SCART switch, and it is a push-button switch with no extra features that's only about $65.
and it is now my go-to. It is tied with the G-SCART switch for my favorite. And they are both wildly different devices. The G-SCART is far more expensive, but gets you auto-switching, sync filtering, designed making sure that every port can get you the maximum amount of quality. I mean, it, you get what you pay for with the G-SCART, but I think Super G himself would even say, not everybody needs all of those functions. So if you're one of those people who's either starting out on a budget or just doesn't need that extra stuff, you're definitely going to want to check out this review. I'll do a short review here. Um, so if, uh, if you don't really care about SCART, you could skip to the next section right now. But let's walk through what I found for this thing. So it is a six in one out switch and it has a plug style SCART connector on the side, which I love by the way, uh, but we'll get to that at the end of this. So let's go through the other features first. First of all, since it is a manual push button switch with no internal circuitry, what goes in comes out. So the answer to every single will my cable work on this is it'll work the exact same as if you plugged it directly into your target device. Now, that's a good thing in the situation where you have composite video over SCART running into the RetroTINK 5X. Now, it doesn't really matter if it's RGB or composite. You could just change the inputs on your TINK, and that's it. Same with the OSSC. You could run component video over SCART, and since it's a manual push button, all you'd have to do is set your OSSC or RGB monitor or whatever else to component video versus RGBS, and it'll just work. Just as a quick note, the RetroTINK 5X doesn't take compo component video, YPBPR, over the SCART port. So what comes in comes out. The bad side of that is if you have a bad super gun with no voltage protection on the audio lines and all of the potentiometers cranked up on the video lines, it'll do the same damage as if you plugged it directly into your target device. So what goes in comes out, period. I think that's a good thing, but just wanted to put that warning up there. On the audio side of things, there was no discernible difference between plugging direct and plugging it into the ports. And not only did my ears not hear a difference, using MD4A analysis, it showed that no interference is really picked up, even if you have another device plugged in and powered on, which is never a great idea, but there are definitely scenarios in which that might happen. Uh, I'm not gonna go into MD4A stuff here, but all I will say is I ran a bunch of tests and the most, the two most relevant here, I did a MD4A test of a triple bypassed Genesis 3 plugged directly into the audio interface. I ran the same test twice, one right after the other. It's about as apples to apples comparison as you could imagine. And if you're watching on video, you can see the graph. If you're listening audio only, there's a minor difference between the two as, it, as there will always be with analog audio. So then I unplugged the, uh, the cable, plugged it into the switch and had the switch in the middle of the audio interface. Uh, same setup, same everything else. And it's about the same amount of interference and the same amount of difference. So that means that the results of going through this switch, even with a combination of other consoles powered on or not, is not going to add any noise to your signal. Now, if you're somebody who's doing audio analysis, always plug direct anyway. I don't care how good the switch rates, <laughs> just one of those things, one less thing to go wrong. But this was a, a kind of a long and nerdy way of saying your audio will not be destroyed if you plug it through this switch. Others, yes, not the G-SCART, of course. Uh, and there are a couple other good ones as well, but this one absolutely holds up. On the video side, it was also good, but I do have a nitpick, and I need to be very, very clear that this is not 
a con, you know, there's no pros and cons. This is a nitpick for super nerds. The only way you would ever notice this nitpick is if you had maybe the upcoming RetroTINK 4K or you're doing video analysis, which once again, any kind of analysis, you go direct into your capture card or scaler. Don't put anything in between it. However, um, when you plug a sync on composite cables, that means the sync line is actually composite video, which some people might be using now simply because you could do things like the RetroTINK 5X, switch between composite and RGB. You might be able to do the same on your RGB monitor, depending on your setup. So I understand, or, or even your switch setup, I understand why comp uh, sync on composite could be a very good thing. But if you have any of those cables, put them in the port that's closest to the output. When I put them in the port that was farthest away, I got the tiniest, tiniest bit of interference to the point where I'm really curious if anybody could even see these using their cell phone or, or in this video here. It's that minor. However, that's a nitpick. If you use sync on C-Sync cables, like I always do, and by the way, that whole debate over C-Sync, just buy the ones linked on RetroRGB. If you hate me that much, delete the affiliate code afterwards and still buy the same one. Those are safe, great cables. But if you're syncing on C-Sync or if you're syncing on Luma, this is a non-issue. If you're using anything other than some crazy 4K setup or some ultra calibrated 32 inch BVM, you're not going to see a difference, period. But if you do have a crazy setup, just put your sync on composite cables closest to the output. And if all of your cables are sync on composite, just do it in the order of what's your favorite console or something. But once again, not a problem a nitpick. I think Rob did a great job routing the switch. I think you might see similar results on most switches, but I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't talk about it. So basically for 99% of us, including me and my gaming habits, zero difference. If you're a reviewer, you should be plugging in direct anyway. Now, the last thing, the most fun thing I want to talk about is connection compatibility. So this was designed to plug directly into the side of the RetroTINK 5X with its buttons pushing forward. So that way you could have kind of a cleaner setup with all of your cables routed properly. And it obviously does a very beautiful job with that. However, if you have a receptacle SCART to BNC cable that you're using to connect to your RGB monitor, this will plug right in its place. And in fact, this is the scenario that I have always talked about, where if you're getting a monitor and some consoles and some SCART cables, maybe save some cash at first and just manually plug in whatever console you're using at a time directly into this same exact adapter. So if that's the case, you would just plug all your consoles into this. And because it's got the plug output, you don't need any other cables or adapters. You just plug it directly in. I love that. Um, it also worked near perfect for the RetroTINK 2X SCART. You just have to get yourself some rubber feet or fold up a piece of paper and stick it underneath. And you don't have to, but you don't want to put strain on the SCART port on either of these things. So it's one of those, if you want, if you want a, a nice looking solution, get some rubber feet for a dollar on Amazon or something and be done with it. Uh, if you're just trying it out, whatever, just jam something underneath. But that worked fine. Um, also, the OSSC worked fine with a butt. Um, the ports on that side of the OSSC are SCART and component video. So if you're somebody that needs to connect all of the inputs on your OSSC, you could just use a SCART cable, just make sure to get plugged to receptacle, and that's it, you're fine. However, uh, if you are willing to run component video through this switch, 
or if you just don't use component at all, I was able to use like a bungee cord type of thing to, I stuck the two together and then I put the bungee kind of over where the component video ports were just to make sure that it, it, it kind of held everything in place. It was a light bungee. It wasn't putting too much strain. I wasn't using a zip tie and like grinding it down. And while I laughed when I did this and while a lot of my friends laughed when they saw the picture, it's totally safe. The only thing you're doing is losing the component video ports. It's a plastic injection molded shell, so you're not putting metal ports up against a metal shell. It's a perfectly good design. And this is a good time to mention that if you do have a situation like this and you wanna route component video through the switch, you just need uh, any kind of cable that is RCA to SCART in that direction. So I believe retro gaming cables will make them. I'm pretty sure WookieWin could make them. And if not, I'm sure you can get just adapters to adapt RCA to BNC. So you don't have to worry about that. Actually, you could definitely get RCA to BNC adapters. I have a few. So you might even be able to repurpose some kind of BNC to SCART cable you already own to route, just put component video on the red, green, and blue lines, route it over this, and there you go. Uh, hopefully Rob will have some of those cables available for sale. I'll post when he does because it's a perfect solution for OSSC users. So what didn't fit? I'd like to think Rob did this on purpose, but the only thing I had here that didn't fit was that SCART to HDMI adapter that I say don't ever use for video game playing anyway. It's great for capture. There's a million other good uses for it. That's why I did that video on it that's more than half positive. But that was the only one that wouldn't work because the power connector is right next to the SCART input. I just thought that was the funniest thing on the planet. So that basically sums it up. It's my tied for my favorite switch because of, uh, of price and functionality. Obviously, the, you could call the G-SCART switch better in pretty much every way, but it's you get what you pay for. So this is perfect. It's this and the G-SCART depending on your needs and budget. Also, if you want to know how I did these tests, please check out the live stream. If you don't, I'm sure the live stream is going to bore you to death. I don't ever want to waste your time, but I would really want to see reviewers starting to take on my methods because please, please remember, it's not Bob's method of reviewing. I just took all of the information, all of the people infinitely smarter than me have taught me over the years and applied it to how I do these tests. So, you know, calling it the retro RGB method would be neat. You don't have to, but it's definitely not my method. It's other people who are smarter than me. And it's obviously a completely different method of testing if you're using a powered SCART switch. But if you have one, especially one with single output you know, like the otaku switch from a couple of years ago that I liked, um, this is the exact method you would do. And I hope to get a powered switch soon. Somebody was actually nice enough to pick one up for me and have it drop shift. So I will be doing another live stream at some point soon showing exactly through boring step-by-step -step methods how to test those. And if you're a reviewer, adopt these methods and, and let me know when you post review videos and I'll at the very least re, you know, repost them on social media and try to write them up here because we need good reviewers taking the time because it's so boring and takes so long. By the way, thank you to everybody who keeps me company on these live streams. It makes it so much more fun. But you got to do it, otherwise you don't know what you're buying. So hopefully that'll start to take off and people in the scene will start to use those methods. But uh, awesome job by Rob on the Switch, and I hope a bunch of you pick that up. Next up, the team over at Sega 16 has just translated an old interview from Spanish to English regarding the Sega Saturn's launch. 
if you want some more info and a fun story, definitely check out Sterling's post. But I absolutely love stuff like this because there's so much neat little info in here about what they thought the price was going to be, about what the uh, excitement level at Sega was before they suddenly changed the release date. And it's just kind of a very cool glimpse into history. So if you're interested in this, I would definitely check out Sterling's overview. And of course, check out the original interview over on Sega 16. And thank you very much to anybody who takes the time to translate stuff because there are so many bits of cool information and games out there that many of us would never have been able to understand and enjoy without people taking the time to do it. So as always, thank you to everybody who contributes to any kind of uh, of translation. And this is, a, this is an interesting read. So hopefully if you're a Saturn fan or a video game history nerd fan, you'd want to check this out. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This next one's pretty big news for fans of the Atari Jaguar or video game emulation. Developer Rich Whitehouse has just released the Big PMU emulator, the first Atari Jaguar emulator that features 100% compatibility with retail original games. And it's the same emulator that's been used in the, wild, or the widely praised Atari 50 collection for the Jaguar. Now, there's a bunch of things to discuss, and I want to send all of the praise over to Rich, of course. However, I do want to give a shout out to Digital Eclipse because they gave Rich permission to release this emulator to the community as long as he didn't release the source code, at least at this time, which I think is amazingly fair and something that they did not have to do. So shout out to Digital Eclipse. And I also want to give a shout out and props to everybody that's worked on Jaguar emulation or reverse engineering in the past. Calling this the best software emulator ever released for the Jaguar is not a backhanded slap in the face to those amazing developers who worked on it. It's just praise for Rich. But to go through, it's not just a fast and accurate emulator. Rich added features that are impossible on original consoles, like the ability to run some games at 60 frames per second that never hit that target on original consoles. Uh, the ability to add an HDR output and CRT filters, which is pretty neat. And HDR really does increase the ability to do things. Well, actually, if you've been using the RetroTINK 5X recent firmwares, you already know this, but enabling HDR modes along with scan lines could really add a lot to the overall final look of that image. Um, and also, Rich is kind of looking to the future with this as well. So please, please consider supporting on Patreon because the first couple of things that Rich wants to look into are just Jaguar CD support, which is kind of awesome, and also porting it to different platforms. And even looking into things like Jaglink. Imagine being able to play Jaguar over the internet with people. 
But I would also really, really love when time allows, if Rich had the ability to work with the Mr. team, to try to bring some of these features, if possible, to the Mr. Now, I will start off by saying that in most cases, stuff that you get in software emulation can't really be done in FPGA the same way, me meaning that in order to do that might be more work than starting a new emulator from scratch, but maybe not. And since Rich has already done the work, I think it would be very cool to see. So if you have the ability to support, please, please consider doing so. I'm, you know, I'm a fan of the Jaguar, oddly. You know, I don't love most of the games on it, but I do absolutely love Tempest 2000. And there were a few games that I definitely always get a smile when I try to play through on there. So, um, you know, also just a, a very quick and respectful note, I think Rich is going to be temporarily out of commission for a little bit. So I'm not going to be bothering him about Mr. Updates or anything else. I just going to pledge my support on Patreon. And when, uh, when Rich has time to swing back around, maybe I could even bug him into doing an interview or something like that. But I'm definitely proud to support this one, and uh, hopefully you might be as well. I just released the first of a couple of videos that are going to be focused on audio, and this one is kind of an overview of my surround sound setup and how I approached it as music first. And I absolutely have to reiterate the point that I made so many times in this video that I'm not telling you that this is the setup you should buy. Even if you love the theory behind it, buy whatever your budget would allow, it's the theory behind how I chose those components that I wanted to share. Also, this video is kind of like a precursor for another for another. So I started out releasing my room tour a few weeks ago because I felt like people that watch this video might go, well, what's up with that? What's up with that? Now I can just point them to the room tour. The next video that's audio focused coming out is going to have a few questions that I'm sure people are going to have where I'm going to say, hey, go back to this other video and watch. So. While I am, while I do stand behind the things that I uh, that I said, I really, I really do think that this is more closer to like a room tour than an actual technical video, unless you own an NAD amp, and then there is a very important couple of fixes in there that you should definitely look into, because I wasted a lot of time trying to figure out a very cheap and easy answer to those problems. But um, I, I did put two thumbnails up. I have the clickbait one, audio files will hate this setup. And then I have the real one, surround sound music first. It's kind of just what you're forced to do these days if you want to get noticed. I hate it, but you know, whatever. Um, and I did make a point on social media that, you know, this video will piss off fake audio files. A few people asked what I meant by that. A fake audio file is somebody that will publicly shame you for your setup, even though they either don't own a setup at all, or they're really just trying to justify how much they overspent on somebody else's setup when they have no idea what they're talking about. Kind of like a barstool racer who doesn't actually own a car, but telling you about that car in their garage that's going to beat yours, or that person that shows up at a gig saying their band is going to be so much better than yours when they don't actually have a band or maybe not even play an instrument. So that's what I meant by fake audiophile. Um, but I think really what it comes down to it, if you like music or two-channel audio from awesome old video games, and you do think that you might also want a surround sound system, you might want to approach it this way, and price has absolutely nothing to do with it. You could think of it this way on any budget, and any true audiophile will tell you that I, my theory of doing the most you can with your budget and spending a lot of time and effort on speaker placement and running wires properly and calibration that's really what matters. 
you know, just saying, oh, your setup's useless because you didn't spend a million dollars on it is the dumbest shit I've ever heard. But saying, all right, good job. You did the best with your budget, but maybe move your speakers here, maybe do that. And that's actually something I'm going to be continuing probably next year because I know for a fact that at least two of these speakers could have been placed much better, possibly even four of them. But it all I'm also working around the room, how I have to arrange other things in that and some other stuff. So I'm sure I'm going to have a calibration video a few months from now, but um, just kind of approach this however you would like. The next video is going to be focused on ProLogic stuff on modern receivers. And then the video after that is also going to be saying, what if you watched this video and two channels more than enough for you? That's totally awesome as well. So please give me your feedback on these. Feedback like I spent more money than you and my stereo sounds better is useless, but asking me to clarify what I meant in certain things, asking questions about setups, all of this stuff I absolutely take to heart and I use it to improve all of my future videos. So if you think I got something wrong, if you think there's a different perspective, please let me know. And in fact, somebody even mentioned that one of my fixes for the amp could have been just buying an optical HDMI cable, which was right. I just forgot to say that I approached the fix with the splitter because I already had purchased an expensive, for me, HDMI cable. It's not the most expensive out there. I already ran it across the ceiling and I was trying to fix it as is. So I love feedback like that. Thank you to people who do that and who take the time to talk to me about that stuff. But Hopefully you like the video. If not, after this trilogy, I probably won't make any more, but hopefully you do. Now it's time for this week's Mr. Updates, Care of Lou from Lou's Retro Source. As always, I'm going to skim through these, only adding my extra thoughts where I feel like I have some insight, but I'm mostly just going to be skimming through. And if you hear something that piques your interest, please check out Lou's video, post, subscribe to Lou and all of that stuff. But starting us out, as I'd previously mentioned a little bit in that live stream last week, Mike Simone's S-Video and Composite Cores are now downloadable through Update All just by going in, changing the settings and enabling that core under extra cores and I believe Ultimate Mister will be carrying the adapters. I would definitely recommend buying the newest ones that, that I tested that Mike sent out with the dip switches, not the jumpers, that also has the Luma Trap built in because I definitely saw some, some very improved video out of that. Um, also for the PlayStation Core, there's now a soft reset bug that was fixed as well as some more compatibility bugs. And as usual, check out Robert's blog on Patreon if you want some more uh, technical info on that. Um, Hotego has been working on OutRun's frame buffer and New Zealand story, but they hit a bunch of bumps in the road. So uh, you know, just a few more delays on that. And as always, my very strong opinion, take your time, do what you got to do. I appreciate all of the stuff that we get. So thank you. Uh, next up, Jimmy Stones has created a mock-up of the overlay for the Jet Fighter Arcade Core. Uh, the game actually had no clouds, but Atari used a color overlay to simulate the clouds, and now that's what was mocked up. So once again, whether you like this or not, you've got to admit, now is another way to emulate these games accurately and do things that couldn't even really be done on the original in the same way. So love it. Uh, there's also a new MSX1 core that was developed by Molecula. Hopefully I said that one correctly. Um, the new one is a dedicated MX. MSX one core, not a hybrid one and two core, and it could load floppy and card images directly. That's pretty cool. 
SRG320 has made more changes to the Saturn core. It doesn't affect game compatibility, but it does allow you to use an analog stick to play games that support analog controls. It's getting very exciting for Saturn fans. Um, also, Lou just wanted to highlight how awesome Mr. Filters are. And while browsing, they saw a post Retro Fonzie uh, showing off a bunch of stuff. Hopefully I pronounced Retro Fonzie right. My bad if I didn't. Uh, but I agree. Um, you know, I the original Scanline filters I thought were meh, just like all previous Scanline filters before the RetroTank 5X. Unless, of course, you're using a VGA CRT monitor, then that's totally different. Uh, but then I remember seeing the work of the Mr. Team allow for those to be built in. And I remember seeing Trash Uncle doing the pre-created mixes to get some really good looks. And I haven't paid too much attention since on that because I predominantly use my Mr. on a CRT. But after seeing some of the pictures in Retro Fonzie's post, I thought it was pretty neat. So maybe I got to revisit some of that in the future to get some more CRT emulation over HDMI. But as always, thanks so much to Lou for keeping us in the loop of all of this stuff. I would never be able to keep up with it without him. So please subscribe to his channel. Here's some pretty exciting news for fans of both the Dreamcast and Naomi Arcade platform. Pixel FX is about to open pre-orders on the DC Digital version 2. That will be a replacement for the original and will also work on both Naomi 1 and 2 arcade consoles, which is pretty awesome. Now you could either have arcade tournaments on original CRTs, but also have a beautiful stream over HDMI or just output to a really nice flat panel. I personally think, and a lot of people really get annoyed when I say this, but I do honestly think that the graphics of the Dreamcast era look beautiful on a flat panel. Maybe not all, I'm sure there's some that would probably still look cool on an RGB monitor, but a giant chunk, especially when run through something like a nice scaler and especially a digital to digital HDMI mod, I think feel right at home on modern consoles. The biggest difference between this and the original is that it essentially has all of the pixel FX framework in it. So you're gonna get slightly less latency. There wasn't really much latency to begin with at all, but slightly less, a polyphase scaler that can go up to 1440p, um, and all of the new CRT filters and even those new smoothing filters as well. So basically it's like the N64 digital, but in a Dreamcast. Now, I believe it's still true, because Dan and I had spoken about this a few times, that if you have the original one installed, this should be something that you could just unbolt and bolt in its place. And you might need to solder a few things if you want some extra features. But if you spent a lot of money to have a modder do a good job with this, because you should really spend your money right in the, in the uh, situations like this, you don't want a hacked install for it, then if you're on a budget and you want to upgrade, then you should be able to do this yourself with just some screwdrivers and a little bit of patience. Also, do not throw out your old boards. I'm sure there is a ton of people out there that just think the original is more than good enough and would love to buy one at a slight discount used from somebody. So hopefully Dan will also be offering, uh, in all of Pixel Effects, sorry, will be offering the um, flex cables and installation cables for both original and newer kits for this exact reason. So that way people could reuse those older ones uh, if they want to. But I think, honestly, this is one of those things where if you're a hardcore Dreamcast fan, sure, upgrade. If not, I really liked the first one. I didn't think there was anything wrong with the first DC Digital. But if you own a Naomi and you need digital out of any kind, this is kind of a must buy. And a lot of people in the arcade world have been asking this for a long time. Now, the percentage of people buying this versus the actual Dreamcast are probably going to be tiny, but you know the six of us that love that stuff are going to be thrilled to hear it. So 
Um, the team at Pixel FX thinks that the pre-order is going to be December 10th at 10 a.m. So that would be this Saturday, um, 10 a.m. Eastern times, so New York City time. And the, uh, the price would be $200, which I think is good considering all of the inflation and part shortage and price increases lately. Uh, now, there might be a delay, so follow them on social media, check their website, but it's looking like December 10th, this Saturday at 10 a.m. New York City time for 200 bucks. They also mentioned um, that the PlayStation 2 uh, version is probably, uh, my guess is it'd be about a year away, and there might be a new updated one for the PS1 coming soon, but I, you know, respectfully give the team time to, to get this one out the door and in people's hands first, and then swing back and ask about other things. But this is pretty cool, pretty exciting, and uh, I think it's something that a lot of fans of the Dreamcast and Naomi are going to be very happy about. Well, that's it for this week. Before I go, I just wanted to mention that I talked about the SCART Cleaner project over on the Q&A from last week. Um, if you have the ability to help out finishing that off, we need to identify screws, double check the bomb, and if there's any other suggestions people have, now's the time. If you don't know or care what that is, I'm not gonna waste your time and talk about it again here. I'm just gonna leave a link where to find that in last week's Q&A post. And hopefully we can get that out because most people don't need it. But the ones that do could benefit from having it finished, having the ability to order it themselves from a place like JLC PCB, and stores could even offer this for sale. And this is not going to be a product you sell a million of, but you'd probably sell enough if you made them in small quantities to make it worth your time. So please check that out if you have the ability. If not, thanks for watching, listening, playing nicely in the comments, and especially to people, thank you to people who support in any way possible. Monthly support services are where we keep this alive, but also thanks to anybody who just uses affiliate links and spreads the word. You're all awesome. Thank you very much, and I'll see you next week. <laughs>